Welcome. The following message is from the pulpit ministry of the First Baptist Church of Festus Crystal City, Missouri. We welcome you to find out more about our church on our website at www.fbcfcc.org or check us out on our Facebook page at First Baptist Church, Festus Crystal City. It's really easy to turn on the television these days, to turn on the news, and to get a little worried and concerned and depressed. Look at this, the things that are happening in Israel and Ukraine. It's, you know, I was talking to Carrie this morning about that. About, you know, it's just hard to, to know who to believe and to what to believe. And as concerned as we are about those wars and the things that are happening, my friends, I want us to understand something. There's a far greater and more disastrous war happening within the lives of the saints. An attack that happens relentlessly all the time. Now, as you know, I'm not one to make political statements or endorse political candidates, unless they're members of our church and actively in office. But this past week, there is a new Speaker of the House in the United States. Amen. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana. My hometown. I know the guy. <laughs> And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not making an endorsement as a Republican or as a Democrat. What I'm saying to you is we need to pray for Mike Johnson. He is a Bible-believing, evangelical Christian who loves Jesus. And so you better believe he's going to come under attack. Uh, somebody asked him, what do you believe? He said, look at the Bible, and that's what I believe. And so once again, I'm not making a political statement, just saying we need to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters and for all of our politicians. Because when you take a stand for Christ you are going to have a big cross-shaped target on your back. You open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to take a little break from Philippians today. Felt led to go in this direction. To Genesis chapter 3, the war of this world. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent or the snake was more crafty and cunning than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. We're not sure what this serpent or what this snake looked like, but many commentators, <clears throat> myself included, <clears throat> that believe that this snake or this serpent was the most beautiful of all the creatures in the garden. They say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because what does the devil use to tempt us? The ugly things or the most beautiful things? The most beautiful and the most enticing. And so here we see this serpent this crafty animal looking for a way to tempt. Now, it wasn't the animal that tempted them. It was the evil one and dwelled within that animal. We don't know what this serpent looked like, but it must have been magnificent. It must have been something. Mark Twain once wrote, We may not pay Satan reverence, for that would be indiscreet, but we can at least respect his talents. He is indeed a talented foe. John identified this creature as Satan in Revelation. Paul also, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan is the fallen archangel who said, I will ascend to the Most High. We talked about that a few weeks ago. This serpent was a manifestation of Satan. There was a rebellion that occurred between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1 because we know that everything that was done was good and very good. But here we're about to see the first shot heard around the world. 
the first war, temptation. And so he said to the woman, did God really say that? Did, did he say that? That you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now Eve was sinless, but she was temptable and seducible. And so here we see the first temptation, the first battle is about to begin. One person said, a temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a very bad way. Satan said to Eve, hey, uh, I, I can give you something that you need, and that you want. This is something you really desire. This is something you need. What an opportunity. Why would a loving God put that in front of you and say, don't eat it, don't touch it, don't go near it? Well, God must be a cruel individual. How many times in our lives have we said, I want this, I need this, I've got to have that. We fall into that deception. Genesis 3-2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, God didn't say anything about touching it, but I, I believe Adam added that little phrase. Don't go near it, don't touch it, stay away from it. Last night, we fired up the fireplace for the first time this season. And I told my boys, listen, don't touch it, don't go near it. What do they want to do? Stick their fingers in the fire, you know? Don't go near it. Stay as far away from it as you possibly can. The road is closed. There's construction. Don't drive on it. He made it very clear. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. Stay away from it. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 13, rather, my friends, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not think how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. But put, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Genesis 3, 4. <clears throat> you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. <clears throat> For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan spoke truth there. He did. That's what Satan does. He takes truth and mixes it with error, but it's still wrong. You make a chocolate pie and put some x likes in it, my friends, you're going to have a messed up pie. You put manure in a chocolate pie, it's going to be nasty. That's what the devil's doing, he's mudding up the waters. Satan spoke truth. Is it true that he's restricted you from the delights of this place? If God really loves you, would he be holding out on you? He put doubt in her mind. I want to encourage students, young people, adults, but I want to talk to these students particularly here in a moment. Those of you that are in high school and junior high and college and getting ready to do that. You're going to encounter people in this world that's going to try to put doubt in your mind about what your parents taught you, about what your church taught you, what your Sunday school teachers taught you. They're going to try to put doubt inside your brains. Never doubt the truth. Never. There's a reason for it. He insinuated doubt and she, uh, she fell for it. Well, he appeared as an angel of light. She received it without fear or surprise. She let her personal experience override the truth. We can never let experience override or supersede the truth. That's how Mormonism started. That's how Islam started. Someone had this magnificent experience. And because it was an experience and it looked good and it felt good, therefore it must be truth. If that does not line up with scripture, that's a cult. 
was heresy. Muhammad had a vision. Joseph, Joseph Smith had a vision, a light. But we know the devil masquerades as what? An angel of light. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. Now, some people say, well, where was Adam at? You know, where was he? He was right there next to her. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. He bought into it. He gave into it. And there'd be consequences far-reaching. Consequences that affected all of us. You see, we want to treat sin like a teddy bear, but it's a rattlesnake. My boys went to Grant's farm this past summer, and my grandmother, their grandmother Mimi, for some reason, decided to buy them a stuffed animal, whatever they wanted. And they wanted stuffed snakes. I'm like, we don't need that in the house. We don't need that. Oh, it's, we got to have that. And so I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. That stuffed snake freaks me out a little bit. It looks soft and cuddly. But there's nothing safe or cuddly about the devil, my friends. He'll bite you. He'll snap at you. He'll quarrel. He'll suffocate you. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not the roaring lion of Judah. Glad you think that he is. Looking for someone to devour. Therefore, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the whole world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. That is the war of this world. As Christians, we fight temptation. As Christians, we fight sin. As Christians, we fight to stand up for what is true and honorable and holy and righteous. And yet sometimes we get freaked out over a mouse and then we do a roaring lion. I remember once I was visiting my grandpa. He had a place on Sidley Lake in Natchitoches, Louisiana, and I was out there on the pier, and it had just finished raining, and I saw this head pop up and started swimming towards me. It was a water moccasin. I never run faster in my entire life as I did in that moment that day. I think I took out two pine trees getting to my grandpa's place. I hate snakes. But that's Satan's strategy. He disguises himself. Makes him look legitimate. He questions God, God's word. And then he denies God's word. I think about that young lady, that Natalie Ann Holloway, who recently we found out the, what happened to her. She was on a senior trip in Aruba. 18 years old, and some young man deceived her and murdered her. She thought he was a nice-looking young man. She wanted to go hang out with him. And what happened to her in the end? She was killed. She was murdered. But Adam and Eve, they ate. A direct transgression without deception. Adam did it. Now we know that sin is desirable. If it wasn't, people wouldn't do it, but Hebrews tells us that sin brings pleasure only for a moment, for a season. Sin is very appealing to our eyes, but is appalling to God. It looks good, feels good, but it's the poison. It's the end result that we don't always see and comprehend. Yes, for gaining wisdom, King Solomon wisely said in Ecclesiastes, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. There's a lot of things I've learned in this life but I wish I hadn't learned it after I was out of the will of God. I wish I hadn't learned it after I'd sinned. Y'all with me, amen? It's tough, tough lessons. 
The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3, 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. And they cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does, does not love his brother. So that's why the Lord came. To wipe out sin. And John reminds us, if you walk in righteousness, you'll be righteous. That's how you'll know if you're a child of the Lord, a child of God. In verse 7, Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. Those are not fun moments. The eye-opening moments. You snap your senses and you snap back to reality and go, what have I done? What happened? Who am I? They realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. We can't cover up our sins. Can't do it. What did David do after he found out that he had impregnated Bathsheba? He started the cover-up story. That's what we do. We try to cover it up. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God called the man saying, where are you? Wait a second, I thought God was omniscient, omnipotent, all those great, great words, those theological words. I, I thought he knew everything. He knew exactly where Adam was at. He was giving Adam and Eve a chance to repent, a chance to ask for forgiveness, to confess their sins. And that's the question for us today. Where are you today? Where are you? Are you hiding? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Maybe you never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And here we have the first recorded words of all mankind. We have great documents. Behold, these truths be self-evident. All men are created equal. We, the people of the United States, four score and seven years ago, Great, profound moments in history where powerful words were spoken. But the first words out of man's mouth was this. I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. I was naked. And I hid. Those are the three things that sin do to us, my friends. Those are the consequences of sin. Fear. Exposure. And you flee. Bible says the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. Verse 11, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God knew. Chance to repent. <laughs> Verse 12. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. It's her fault. The blame game. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Now, I've always loved how Eve responded. At least she owned it. 
the serpent deceived me, and I ate. What if Adam had responded the same way? So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, of all the wild animals. You will crawl upon your belly. You will eat dust all the rest of the days of your life. God cursed the world. He cursed creation. But he specifically cursed the serpent. Serpents represent which is disgusting and low. And they are branded with infamy. You avoid them with fear. And then it happened in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. <laughs> Where do the first domestic disputes happen? Right here in the text. From that day forward, husbands and wives have bickered and fought. Amen? <laughs> Let's look forward to the day we step into eternity where there will be no more bickering, no more fighting. No more sorrow. No more pain. But the devil, his strategy then is the same strategy now to go after the homes. To destroy the family. To redefine what a relationship is. To redefine what a marriage is. To redefine what a man is. And to redefine what a woman is. All of those are blatant attacks upon the family. And if he can destroy the family, he wins. Which is why we as believers must continue to stay in God's word to be holy, to be righteous, to be above reproach. None of us are perfect, but we're to do our very best to serve God in holiness and righteousness. Well, pastor, I've messed up. Welcome to the club. Confess, repent, and turn from it. But in the, in the midst of verse 15, we see hope. The first prophetic utterance of the coming of the Messiah. You'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Did you catch that? You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Satan could only bruise Christ to cause him to suffer. But Christ will destroy Satan with one fatal blow. And at the cross of Calvary, Jesus won. He won. It may look like the devil's winning. It may look like he's being victorious. It may look like when all hell breaks loose and the world is falling apart, that Satan is in control, my friends. But it doesn't matter who's at war. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in control, and he is going to take us home. We have no need to fear or worry unless you're not a believer in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Verse 16 of Genesis 3. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. In pain you will give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There will continue to be pain and sorrow. I've never had a child. Had kidney stones. Can't imagine what having a baby's like. It's a painful thing. When sin entered the world, pain and misery entered the world. When sin entered the world, hostility, enmity, fighting, and fussing became the norm. Verse 17. 
To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants for the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until, the, until you return to the ground. So from, that, from that is where you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. So you can thank Adam for us having to weed eat now, having to cut the grass. For this moment, everything was provided for all the food, all the water that they needed. When we sin, we cut off God's provision. When we sin, we break that relationship and fellowship with him. We reminded that we will return to the ground. Now, we're not without hope, my friends. Jesus can and will forgive us. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she became the mother of all things living. And then verse 21, I want you to catch this. When Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to cover it themselves. They tried to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves, to cover their own sin with good works. Can't cover our sins with good works. Something had to die. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. To kill something means you have to shed its blood. And it was the blood covering over Adam and Eve. Jesus paid that price. He became the blood atonement. Something had to die. Someone had to die. And Jesus did. They were covered with blood. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man is now like one of us. That's a, that is a reference to the Trinity. People say, well, there's no evidence of the Trinity in the Bible. Oh, there is. Now they know good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. In an act of mercy, God set them out of the garden. He would not let them live forever as an act of mercy, so they would not live forever in their sinful state. Verse 23, the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground for which he had been taken. And after he had driven the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Sin causes guilt, grief, and groaning, but forgiveness comes by God's grace. My question is very simple this morning. Where are you? Where are you? The Bible says, though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. G Revelation 3.20 tells us, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with him and he with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here's the promise. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Where are you today? <clears throat> is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there something that's eating at you and gnawing at you? You need to make restitution. 
need to return to the Lord, call him. Then he will save you. Where are you today? Father, we love you. We thank you for the hope that you give us the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, you would hear our prayers. Leave with those that are not in your will. Speak to the ones that don't know you as your Savior. I pray in this moment, Jesus, they would confess their sins. They would cry out to you and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Lord, we thank you that you left us with hope and not without hope. That you covered our sins with your precious blood on the cross of Calvary. Lord, may we all walk in righteousness and holiness and be above reproach, Father. <coughs> and when we do fail, Lord, give us the courage and the strength to say we're sorry, to confess, to repent, and to turn from it. Lord Jesus, we dedicate this time of invitation to you. <coughs> And ask that your will be done. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. If you'd like to come to this altar and pray, or maybe you'd like me to pray with you, or maybe you'd like to know more about Jesus, or just maybe you want to come become a member of our church, we invite you. We'd love to have you. But you come this morning as the Lord leads. business meeting tonight at five o'clock we'll be also handing out the results of the survey that you filled out also we have our six o'clock bible study we've been doing the elephants in the church a great time of study hope to see you back here again tonight brother Kerry. i have is the uh reminder to please sign up for the thanksgiving dinner uh that we'll be doing thank you for joining us today for another in-depth message into god's word may god richly bless you and we invite you to join us in person for worship at 815 or 1045 every Sunday morning. We are located at 107 North Truman Boulevard in Crystal City, Missouri.